Hi, I'm Pastor Chris. I am the senior minister of First Congregational Church of Naples, Florida, and also the executive director and co-founder of Supply and Multiply, a ministry my family and I founded while living in Haiti some number of years ago. And I am happy to welcome you today to this conversation that I'm going to be having with the grief guru, Kelly Nielsen. And uh, I just want to tell you, welcome to the Pilgrim Path podcast. And I'm hoping that this conversation is a blessing to you. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation very much with this person who shares a passion for a type of healing ministry uh, with me, and uh, it's something that's so important. So welcome, Kelly, and uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became the grief guru? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much, Chris, for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this <laughs> conversation, and as I often share with people, Nobody grow up, grows up wanting to be the grief guru. It was not an aspiration that I had as a young girl, but life happens and we make the best with what comes our way. So my journey with grief uh, really started almost about five years ago now, the morning of February 1st, 2017, when my father notified me that my mom had committed suicide. And having been at that point, um, been a person of faith and walking with the Lord for 10 years, that shook me to my core. When I say that it was a devastating event, that's an understatement. I, I was not equipped or prepared for the physical shock, the emotional shock, like what happens to you in those moments. Um, I remember specifically, you know, not even being able to get dressed, like my mind and body did not work together. And it was a crisis of faith for me. I really thought, um, this whole faith thing was a cruel joke. I thought I had been bamboozled that, you know, I had put my faith right. in God. I, I thought that he was with me and protecting us and all this stuff. And it really was a crisis for me in terms of my faith, but also grief just really had its way with me. I, it was really debilitating. I had a tough time for months, you know, not sleeping, not eating, just barely going through the motions. I was actually in a leadership position in a ministry and had to step down because I could hardly lead myself out of bed in the morning, much less lead anyone else. So for several months, I existed like that. I, and the thing that breaks my heart is I went to the church and asked for help and they didn't have help for me. They didn't have resources. And because my mom committed suicide and the nature of her passing, it was like, kind of too big and ugly for my friends. And, you know, nobody knew what to say. So I felt incredibly isolated and alone. I thought there was no help or hope for me. Um, I eventually did go to the police department, actually referred me to a suicide support group. So I went to a suicide support group and I was comforted that everyone in the room knew what I was going through. It was so nice to be around people who got it. But I was horrified at the fact that everyone in the room was in the same condition I was. And in their case, it had been months or even years since they lost their loved ones. And so I saw these people who were just surviving life. They had not recovered. Half of the people in the group were unable to work because they were just so consumed with the sorrow and grief of it. And so I began to just believe that this is what life's going to be like now. I'm just going to be sad and surviving for the rest of my life. And this just is what it is. And thankfully for me, a, a few months after that, I saw a speaker speak at a conference, um, an amazing woman, Immaculate, who had survived the Rwandan genocide. And she shared with us on stage how she was hid away in a bathroom for 90 days with eight other women and how God protected her and she survived. But most importantly to me, she shared how God 
walked her through this healing journey. And I saw this woman full of life and full of joy and full of peace on stage. And it was like, this light bulb went off over my head and, and hopelessness broke off of me. And I said, Oh my goodness, if she can do it, I can do it. And if God will do it for her, he'll do it for me. So I decided right then and there that I would recover. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how long it would take, but I knew in that moment that it was possible and that I was going to do it. And so I began to study. I began to study God's word, get into prayer. I began to study about our minds and bodies, what happens to us physically when we go through grief and trauma and I started making adjustments and just paying attention to what was helpful and what was not helpful. And I started to feel better. I started to get back on my feet. And I'm so thankful that I, I did when I did, because several months after that, um, my son passed away of a drug overdose. So about six months after I found this kind of healing revelation and started healing from the loss of my mom, my son passed away of an overdose. And so, you know, as any parent who's lost a child, it's, it's horrific, right? It's, it's awful. It's, it's most of our biggest fear is to lose a child. So their grief was again, and, you know, it was massive in my life, but I had the tools this time to address it. And so my grieving morning experience was night and day different. And that's when I realized, oh my goodness, this works. It can be taught. And other people need to know this. And so that is what I've been doing. My, my son passed away on July 8th, 2018. So for the last three plus years, I have committed myself and my life and my career to uh, sharing these tools with other people and helping people recover from grief and loss. And just, if nothing else, be another example that it is possible, that healing is possible. That's fantastic. I, you know, I uh, have a strong interest in helping people heal through grief and through sorrow and all manner of, of uh, suffering. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's like, it's like the anti-popular version of church these days, you know, like uh, uh, my wife, my kids, sometimes when I, when I give them an answer to something uh, as to one of these harder questions, sometimes they're like, Hey, maybe you could just soften that up a bit and just fluff it up a little. And, uh, but the, tr the truth is, is that so many people uh, are suffering. You know, I uh, did my doctoral dissertation on the topic of human suffering and the sovereignty of God. And what led me to doing that, I was working on seminary degrees for years, and I finally was nearly done with my doctorate. I had to make a decision. Uh, it was a doctor of ministry degree, and I had to make a decision on my doctoral project. And it was due, I don't know, like uh, on a Wednesday or a Thursday, I, I had to finally submit my final proposal. And I've been working on it and tweaking it. And I wasn't sure I had three or four ideas. And then one weekend, I was then pastor of a church in uh, Illinois. On, in, in one weekend, on a Saturday morning, I officiated the funeral of a late term, uh, essentially a stillbirth uh, from uh, family that, you know, friends, members of the church that are like family to this day. And it was heart-wrenching what had happened. And um, the details of it, the way it, it played out was just so, so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that Saturday morning, I officiated the, the funeral for this, this baby. That afternoon, I officiated the wedding. The same day, I officiated the wedding for uh, another member of the church who were first cousins to this family that just that oh, morning, wow. everyone was at the funeral. And then the following Sunday morning, I was supposed to dedicate a baby 
uh, for another uh, church uh, church family who decided that with given the gravity of the weekend, we postponed it. Uh, but at the end of that weekend, that day, Saturday, was uh, some kind of, you know, the kind of pastoral experience that you just can't forget. I mean, that morning, I wept with those who wept in keeping with Jesus instructions, right? I was I was heartbroken with them and was bearing one another's burdens. And then about two hours later, <laughs> there was a bride all dressed in white uh, walking down an aisle, and I did the very best I could. And I, I was actually kind of impressed because afterwards, people are like, gosh, you know, you really were really joyful for them. I'm like, I was rejoicing with those who rejoice. I mean, it, it was a kind of meditative practice for me to really be obedient to the word of God to the extent that I was able, but I was exhausted at the end of that yeah. weekend. And the following that like Sunday night, I said to my wife, I, I know what my, my project will be. I, I didn't know exactly what it would turn into. Uh, but what it ended up becoming was uh, a grief share program that I offer at the churches. That's about a six week program that, uh, due to a number of factors, not the least of which was the gravity of the project. For the first few years after I earned my doctorate, I never implemented it. And I would come to it and, and, and write it and rewrite it. And, and um, finally, I did it. And, and I found that it had so much potential. And the emphasis is giving people a theological framework around which to a biblical theological framework around which to sort of understand God's potential purposes and redeeming work through pain. Like I'm always pointing people essentially to the cross. And the thing that I think actually becomes most valuable, sometimes there's theological questions that get answered. It helps people, but it's a group of people coming together and sharing with one another. And it's like, sometimes I, I'm able to open, you know, open their minds to different ways of thinking biblically about their pain and like you said, there, there are really practical tools. Uh, it, it, there are, but there are so many people who, who are completely unaware of, of those things and stay trapped in grief and sorrow and anger and all the things that come along with it, sometimes for decades. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, for years I've been doing um, at around Christmas time, a blue Christmas service uh, on the longest day of the year. And again, it's like, you know, I'm like the anti-prosperity preacher. Like, I, like I want to dive into your pain with you and help you find a way out of it. And, uh, and, and I, this year we're not doing it. And instead, I was, I was fishing around for different ideas. And um, uh, one of the things I love to use in churches is Christian comedy. And I was hunting for a Christian comedian in the area. And I found you. And I thought, and I said, oh, here we go. I said, yeah, okay. So on New Year's Eve at First Congregational Church of Naples at 6 p.m., you're going to be here uh, sharing. I, I, I've been, you know, using some of your marketing material, hopefully not misrepresenting you, uh, uh, not any more than necessary uh, <laughs> due, to, due to the fact that we only just are getting to know each other. Uh, basically encouraging people to come because I know for sure that the last couple of years, this church included, people have gone through a lot. Uh, a lot of people have lost loved ones and, uh, and some of them are grieving the loss of the last two years, uh, businesses, uh, all kinds of things. And I want to give people an opportunity in Naples uh, to come and maybe, you know, it's, it's like somebody told me, hey, I want to go to a New Year's Eve party on New Year's Eve. I said, well, go after you come and, 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 and open up your mind a little bit to some of the possibilities of, of ringing in the new year, as it were, 
you know, uh, learning how to or, or beginning a journey, turning a corner with regard to advancing through adversity, which is a phrase I found uh, that it, uh, repeated on a number of your your materials. And um, yeah, so so I'm excited to have you. And um, yeah, I mean, I mean, what do you think? What do you think about those things? I guess you know, because I, I know you're, you've also written a, at least one book on yeah. the topic. You have a you have a, a, a group study. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, what, what can the, you know, you said you went to your church and I, and I totally understand that you went to your church and it was like the resources weren't readily available. Right. And some, in some cases, some, some, some pastors aren't even really, you know, it's one of those things. They teach you how to be a theologian in seminary. They don't always teach you how to walk with somebody through like, I, you know, like you might graduate seminary. Sadly, it's very likely almost certain you'll graduate seminary and never have been shown how to do a funeral, never right. have been shown how to do a wedding. Like, like the practical side of ministry is sometimes really neglected in that formal training and not to throw yeah. seminaries under the bus, but that's just kind of the, kind of the way it is. And, um, you know, so what do you think about, I mean, what can the church community, what can we, and should we be doing um, yeah. to be more well-equipped for these things? Well, exactly. I have so many thoughts, you know, um, exactly pastors don't get the practical training or they're way overburdened. They're understaffed and overburdened. If they have a large congregation and somebody dies this week and somebody dies, you know, they, they do the funeral and they do a call afterwards, but really walking someone through, through to recovery and healing is a different thing altogether. And so a lot of them don't have the time or the tools to do that. And another piece that's really important for me is you can be an amazing pastor and you may be able to hold space, but there is a certain amount of knowing that comes from walking through it yourself. And so that's why, you know, what I do is grief coaching and I work with other coaches who've been through loss, who can walk someone else through loss because we have an experiential knowing that uh, lends to the other person's even neurological system, believing that healing is possible when they're working with someone who's walking and healing. But to speak real quickly about the faith piece of it and being, you know, um, disenchanted or confused with, you know, God's place in suffering and, and your pain and everything. And that's one of the gifts that trauma, trauma, tragedy, adversity, fill in the blank. There's some gifts that are available to us in the midst of that. And one of them is it's a testing of your faith. You know, before my mom passed away, I would have told you that I had an unshakable faith. I would have told you that I trusted the Lord implicitly with me and my, my whole family. And then when my mom died, turns out my faith was shakable, you know, and, but we don't know where those spots are until they're tested and exposed. And so thankfully, and I had to grapple with that. And I had to, yeah, the church didn't have resources for me. So it was very personal. You know, I couldn't go to church at first. I was so frustrated. And then I remember going to church and all these people were singing about this faithful God. And I wanted to punch them all in the face. Really? I was, <laughs> no, I understand. I was like, you guys, yeah. like you're, this faithful God, you know? Yeah. And so I've got I joy, to, joy, joy, joy down in my heart. And you're like, yeah, really? <laughs> I was, I was yeah. so mad. Right. And yeah. what I was most upset about was, oh my goodness, God, who was my lifeline, you know, I've been walking with the Lord and received salvation. So I was like, I knew that if, if I was wrong, if God was not real or who I thought he was, I was done for, I knew there was no hope for me if he didn't. And I had to grapple with that. And I, um, you know, I shared with the Lord that I wasn't going to be tithing anymore. I decided that that was fair. I was like, well, you know, 
I'm holding, withholding the tithe for at least a year for pain and suffering. Like you owe me right. at least that, you know, like, yeah. and I told him that and he never said anything, you know, he was, he let me have my fit. And then after a season of time, I went back to church and they asked for the tithe and I felt this poke, you know, Holy Spirit poking me to give the tithe. And I didn't want to, but I did. And I did unwillingly. And I said, God, fine, I'm going to give the tithe. I don't, I'm not really happy about it, but I'm going to do it. And when I did that small little act of obedience, God met me in that place. And it's still to this day, I usually tear up when I talk about it because I gave the tithe and the presence of God and the peace of God fell on me to the point that I knelt down at the altar and I heard God say, you've never been more beautiful to me than you are right now. Mm. And it was such... He didn't fix the pain. He didn't take it away. He didn't explain it. He didn't make it make sense. He just was the good and loving father that I've always known him to be. And he just loved me in that moment. And it was in that place that I discovered that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, no matter what I'm facing, whether I understand right. it or not, whether I'm happy about it or not, like I can always come to him, whatever state I'm in, and I will find him the same. And so that is the birthplace of the faith I walk on today. And that is the opportunity that when people have disappointments or grief or trauma, it's an opportunity to grow in intimacy with God. Bring your questions to him, bring your frustration, bring your angst and let him meet you in that place and minister to you the way that only he can. And you'll find a much stronger faith on the other side of it, you know? So yeah. I love and welcome when people wrestle with God, when they have disappointment and when they have hard times. I think just like any good parent, what he wants from us is to come to him with those things and to bring him our disappointment and to bring him our questions and to be open to have him show us where he was. You know, I thought God had abandoned me. I thought mm. that he yeah. was asleep at the wheel and he let this, you know, he let this happen to my mom. He didn't let me know ahead of time. I felt very, and he showed me through a series of events as time went on, how he was very much there for me and how he very much provided for me and my mom, even in this situation. And I'm so thankful for that. I think a lot of times though, people, it's very easy to get stuck in that angry place and not be open to him showing you how he was in fact there. And there are people who, you know, get mad at God and stay mad at God. And like you said, they stay that way for, years and absolutely absolutely you know i, I was i was uh, officiating a funeral uh here uh i've been in naples just one year and i had been here i don't know a few months and i said at the funeral to people i i, I was um in in at one point in this like message i said you know i moved to naples they said it it's the nicest place on earth and uh I said, you know, I, I'm, dri I'm driving around in my minivan. I pull up next to, you know, some, uh, with great frequency next to a Maserati or a Lamborghini. And say, oh, this is, a, this is the best place on earth. You know, uh, literally $100 million houses on the beach. And I said, you know, it's, it's crazy, though, because uh, my back still hurts. And, uh, <laughs> right. and I still get headaches sometimes. It's like the very best this world has to offer, no matter how well we go about insulating ourselves from struggle, we're still, no matter how rich, no matter how poor, no matter who we are, no matter where we live, there's going to be this one constant at least, and we're going to deal with death, and we're going to deal with grief, and we're going to deal with sorrow, and it doesn't matter how many, how many resources you have financially or, or otherwise, if you don't have the tools to deal with that, you might right. get, you know, you're going to get locked up in a similar prison. I mean, my, my family and I lived in Haiti, we continue to do ministry in Haiti, 
And uh, I was in Haiti once. Uh, well, I've been in Haiti a lot, but I was in Haiti one day preaching. And I said to the people, you know, you all have a gift that so many Americans don't have. Mm. And they're like, really, what is that? Tell me what I have that you don't have in my poverty. And I said, you know, there's a kind of soul poverty that exists in America in the churches because with a sort of prevailing desire to be as happy as possible, as prosperous as possible, there's a certain trend common in our way of doing church and doing Christian life that I don't think sets us up very well for when the tragedy occurs because of exactly what you just said. It reminded me exactly of that because in that sermon I said, the big earthquake that hit, and earthquakes hit Haiti all the time, but the right. big earthquake that hit in 2010, it shook your national faith. And there are Christians in Haiti, as an example, that have a, a more rock solid faith that have a kind of gripping of God that I am horribly envious of. Mm. And it's because in the face of so much adversity, regular death, regular loss, then it really puts you at a place where you, you, you figure out what really matters. Relationships, my local church, gripping the hand of God in my trial. When you don't have anywhere else to turn and you turn to God and you find the healing that you found, the, which, which like you just said, it's not like he's just all in a snap of a finger, right. but the, the ongoing relational experience of God constantly giving you the grace you need to continue on the journey um, there's a kind of beauty in that, that if that, you know, and, and I, yeah, I think equipping. So a lot of times yeah. like people are going to come to come to me or to you, they're going to come looking to the church. They're going to come looking for some resource when the crisis happens. But I love the idea of getting this kind of information into people's lives so that at least at the very least they say, Oh, you know what? That lady, Kelly, the grief guru, I, I bet I should talk to her when the crisis happens. And, right. and more than just that, but like, these are the kinds of this, this is the kind of information, the kind of knowledge that should be more, let's say, you know, saturated into the life of, of the church, into people's lives. And it is something, it's a skill set and a, uh, muscles that you can develop and a skill set that you can build. Because let's interject the word disappointment for grief or tragedy or adversity, sure. right? And we all experience that every day on different levels, different skills. Yeah. And so this, the five-step framework that I teach folks is something you absolutely can start learning and applying with any sort of loss or disappointment that you're wrestling with. And the more you practice it, the more you build up those muscles, the more you can handle a heavy adversity that comes. It's like going to the gym. You don't go in there and lift, you know, 400 pounds day one, but the more you do it and apply in practice, if that opportunity presents itself, you're better equipped for it. And so, you know, for people who have the shock of a major loss and they haven't been building these muscles, they now have the opportunity to start building those muscles and it, it prepares them for whatever comes down the road. But right. it also prepares you to handle blessings as well. Like these things that we build, the, the formation of a rock solid faith and the, the disciplines and practices of being mindful and taking really great care of ourselves and having really great boundaries and doing all the things to be healthy, productive people serve us in all areas. It's not just about surviving the hardship. It's about being able to carry the blessing as well. That's something that God Absolutely. had to personally, he's like, Kelly, I'm not just making you stronger to endure problem after problem after problem. I'm also creating in you the capacity to hold the blessing. 
And so that's, I think it's really easy for all of us as a society when it's been problem after problem and pandemic and overdose right. and racial issues. We're just always bracing for the next bad thing. But right. God wants to also use what's been formed in you in the bad things to have you carry good things. So it's a good discipline to remind ourselves it's not always bad things. God has good yeah. plans for us. And you know, sometimes they fall on the same day. Exactly like you right. said, the wedding and the funeral. I find that often amazing things and difficult, hard things happen at the exact same time. Right. And the ability to hold that tension and to honor both experiences and to recognize both experiences for what they are is part of the beauty of the human experience and how God designed us, you know? Oh, absolutely. You know, so uh here's a, a my, my sons and i we are heavily engaged in uh, martial arts and i have been most of my life in one way or another and we uh in addition to teaching karate uh a kind of a christian karate program that i that i use to, as an outreach tool in the churches um we started in the last five months uh doing jujitsu and mm -hmm. jujitsu for those who don't know is essentially like a like wrestling it's like a japanese wrestling that wound up in brazil and now it's it's way better well you know it's funny uh, okay so a lot of people think that they know how to defend themselves they know how to deal with an attack okay and i'm likening this to you know a major crisis in your life like a death a mm -hmm. tragic loss a divorce all the things that can lead and like you said all the way to the mundane like i just just dealing with disappointment and um, a lot of people think they can defend themselves. You know, I'm a former Marine. Uh, I'm a fairly strong guy. And uh, when I showed up my first night to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I'm also, you know, I have a karate black belt. I got, I was a boxer. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a tough guy, you know? And uh, I showed up to do Jiu Jitsu. And it turns out that the knowledge of Jiu Jitsu for someone who's been doing it for years is way more useful than all of my strength and all my toughness <laughs> and on my first night i got i got wrapped up like a pretzel by a guy who's like half my size and i said okay okay I'm really <laughs> glad i came here to learn this because i have to learn this and the thing is i was just talking to my brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, professor last night about this as he said oh you know you're getting better you're doing great and whatever and my sons are doing great and uh he's I, I we were talking about different martial arts and he said you know for some of those martial arts you need natural ability like when I was a boxer, I, I got mm -hmm. to a level of boxing where I realized that the difference between somebody learning it and somebody with just all kinds of natural skill set and, and talent, super athletic, the, the gap was started to get bigger and bigger the, the higher I ascended in competition. But he said, in jujitsu, anybody can learn this. If you learn the, the techniques, it can make you as if you're stronger, as if you're faster, if you just spend time on the mat. And you know, I, I love to use martial arts as analogy for spiritual life anyway. And I'm not alone. The apostle Paul does. It's found throughout all throughout the Bible, uh, the warfare analogy and the spiritual warfare life. Right. And uh, you know, I, I think a lot of what we'll be doing uh, on New Year's Eve when you're here, and a lot of what you're doing is like is like equipping people for the spiritual battles that really come our way on a regular and consistent basis. I mean, the truth is everybody who does martial arts knows that you mostly are training for a fight you never have to have. You're mostly super equipped for something that most of the time isn't gonna happen. Mm -hmm. but, but conversely, a lot of Christians are way under equipped when it comes yeah. to dealing with these battles. And these battles actually come every day. 
Right. Uh, you know, so, so I love what you're doing and um, yeah, I, 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 I'm looking forward to it. And I, I think there is a desperate need for more ministries like this in the churches, um, you know, in general. I mean, what have you seen as far as, I mean, maybe, you know, I'm not, not necessarily, you know, testimonies of people's lives, or maybe you want to share that. I don't know. But I mean, since you've gotten so fully engaged in doing this the last few yeah. years, what are some of the things that you've seen happen? I mean, yeah. let's say first in you, right? Like I, I, one of the things that I love when I was reading your story and why I reached out to you is um, I think that a lot of people, when, when God heals them, this is one of the sessions of my grief share program is uh, what I basically did is looked at all the different sort of traditions of Christian thought when it comes to suffering and, and God's sovereignty. And then I tried to find what the beauty in that was and then help people so they could really, so it could really be something that could talk about the full spectrum of Christian understanding on these ideas. And one of them is pulling mostly from charismatics, the idea of spiritual warfare. And mm. when I look at you, I say, oh, okay. So you probably found out through this process that you learned some new things about yourself, probably, and your ability to help unequip others. In the last few years, I wonder what maybe you've learned about yourself. Uh, and then also, what have you seen others, uh, you know, God do in their life through, through the ministry that God's given you? Yeah, well, for me, it was very profound in the sense that this is my calling, this is my purpose. So for me, I've right. stepped into, it was the culmination of all my lifelong experiences and the way that God wired me and designed me and gifted me all came crashing together into this assignment that I feel that I have for the rest of my life. So it was hugely yeah. you know, profound and changed my life on every level. And that is the opportunity to small scale, to large scale that, that is available to everyone when they go through hardship, adversity, whatever, God uses all of that. He uses all things for those that love him and are called according to his purposes right. for their good. And so even the worst thing, if you can be open to the idea that somehow, some way, God intends to use that for his purposes in your life. And it could actually be the, the thing that hurt you the most could be the very key to opening up the door to the, your greatest contentment, your greatest ministry, your greatest joy, whatever it might be. One of the things I always say is that your past does not define you. It prepares you. So if people can start to see disappointment and heartache and adversity not as just something bad that happens to us, but that something that forms in us the very thing that we needed to be able to go do the thing that the inner desire of our heart, the thing that we've always wanted to do. Maybe we didn't even realize it was the thing we always wanted to do, but that is, and that is the idea of advancing through adversity. And I love that we're doing our talk on New Year's Eve because every single person has something to grieve in 2021, right? Yeah. But can we internalize and metabolize that so that we can go into 2022 finding the treasure, the adventure, the journey that is on the other side of the loss of 2021. And that is when people can move. And I see it happen with my clients. It's my favorite thing. When they go from just suffering and hurting and start to see that there's something they could potentially be doing with the hurt and the heartache that is meaningful, not for just themselves, but for other people, because that's how God wired us. We're, we're built like him. We're built to be 
interdependent and connected. We're also built to be creating things in the world, creating solutions in the world and helping other people. That's inherently how we're designed. And I don't care who you talk to. You're not fully alive, fully content, fully at joy until you're walking out your purpose in that way, until you're contributing to something that makes the world and people around you better. And that is the opportunity that lies in the rubble of all this heartache and trauma. And so that's going to be the focus of our talk on the 31st is like, okay, all this awful stuff happened. We don't just get healed just to get healed. We get healed so that we can go make a difference in other people's lives. And that is really where the magic happens. That's where God, you know, takes what was meant for evil and turns it for good. And that some of the most fulfilling, um, satisfying moments that I've had have been in these last three years and the opportunities that I have to speak into people's lives and encourage them or what I wouldn't, I was going to say, I wouldn't trade that for anything, but I, I don't know if I was given the choice, I may, I <laughs> right, may ask right. for my mom and son back if I was given the yeah. choice, but I'm, you know, since those decisions weren't up to me in the hand, you know, I'm living a very full, very meaningful, joy-filled life that I don't know that I would I can say confidently, I wouldn't be in this place had those things not happened. And that's the path that's available to people. And I understand it takes people a little bit to get to that place of excited, but I see it happen time and time again. And, and that's what I'm most excited about sharing. And my favorite part of working with clients and people is when that light bulb goes off that, Oh, I don't just need to endure the rest of my life. This hard thing actually can make you know, can be an adventure and a treasure hunt to, to seek out and discover the ways that I can make this meaningful, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think, I think that the underlying that is a big, a big challenge for us as uh, the average American, we're very hardwired towards, you know, towards a kind of worldview that is, is unwittingly for most people, very me centered, and we start to think, well, then I'm going through this tragedy and then we, we can kind of implode when, you know, when, when there's healing comes in large measure as we start to give things away. Right. And, instead of, and so instead of carrying all those burdens, it's like when the Bible tells us to share one another's burden, burdens, I mean, it's not just a, like a spiritual principle of, oh, be nice to people. No, it's like, we were built for carrying heavy loads. That's part of our design. And God, like you said, has given everyone a sort of inherent calling and purpose. And so many people are living lives inconsistent with their purpose. Something that I right. would, I would, I would call even unnatural living. Right. Uh, you know, and um, I, I, in that uh, doctoral dissertation of mine and the, the curriculum I uh, developed out of it, this, this pre-show program, I call it the sacrament of suffering, which again, it's like another one of those examples where my, my kids would be like, Hey, can't you call it like get happy, you know? (laughs) And it's like, no, 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 no. Because that's what it is. It's, it's sacred suffering, pain, loss can be viewed as a kind of sacred event, a sacred part of our life. And again, like I'm convinced as a, as a sort of theological premise, a, a basic biblical understanding of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be alive in Christ. Of, of what it means to understand God's message in the, the history of the church, the, the witness of the church, and in the Bible, you, you have to look at the cross. And at the cross, this is the greatest and worst event in all of history. And like, like we were just talking about, wrapped up like the colors of a candy cane, uh, you know, like, like this two inexorable realities present at the cross, 
the grace of God poured out, the wrath of God satisfied, the sin of man forgiven, the 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 the, the consequence of sin being being brought into a whole new understanding through what? Through the greatest painful event of all history. And so 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 we can't divorce ourselves from the reality. I think sometimes people are like trying to run away from suffering. And like I said earlier, it's like you can run and hide from it, but that's one reality you cannot escape. So are you going to live under the weight of it? You know, just last night I'm at jujitsu and there's a certain guy I trained jujitsu with who's like, I'm a big guy and he's probably got a hundred pounds on me and he's pure muscle. Well, he's mostly muscle, let's say, <laughs> and, uh, and a lot, just a lot of him. And, uh, and, and, and you start out the match and I do everything possible to stay on top of him. Oh, but if he gets on top of me, I can barely breathe. So you've got to learn techniques. You've got to learn some, some legitimate strategy. The, 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 the inclination is just to spaz out and that never works. You've got to learn yeah. some legitimate techniques and some tools. Some of the people, so you can reverse that situation. And, and, and I, you know, I found over the years in pastoral ministry, this strange reality that only makes me more and more wanting to have people like you, that God's given you giftings and ministry, people like you in the lives of the churches that I serve and in the communities where I serve, doing, you know, giving, a, giving you a platform to, to, to do that ministry. Because the, the, in the churches, the people that I have found who understand like grieving the best, they're always nurses. Mm. Without exception, they're nurses. And mm. it's because, because those nurses have been trained with, from like a medical perspective on the grief cycle, grief mm. process, the steps of grief. But however, like not every nurse has also been equipped spiritually or personally gone through those tragedy, like you're talking right. about the need for identification to see someone who's experiencing healing. And so it's like, we, we really, really, really need this in the life of the church. So, well, and yeah. I have to make sure we get this in before we wrap up our conversation. Yeah, the yeah. biggest thing that needs to be said is that healing is possible. Amen. And I, I, it breaks my heart that even in churches, the common, the way our culture addresses it is that you never recover from grief. You just learn to live with it. And that yeah. is not true. And that is not biblical. So if we're using the example of the cross, Jesus yeah. went and he faced the cross and he endured the cross and it was painful and it was hard. And then, and he was resurrected and he was fully Amen. healed. And so even just saying that, I, I got to tell you when I'm working with clients, what we have to undo is what they found in other support groups or sometimes from their own churches that say, yeah. well, you never recover from this. You just learn to get through right. it or you learn to live with it. Why would you give per permission for grief unending? That would be like right. when someone gets sick, just being like, oh, well, you know, like if somebody got They'll cancer always be sick. and yeah. you're like, oh, well, don't make a plan. Don't try to recover. Don't you right. just, just accept the cancer and learn to live with it. We would never say that. That would be crazy. No. So why do we do that when it comes to grief? And it makes me so infuriated, especially when I hear the church touting that kind of stuff, because it's like, what did the cross pay for? What do we actually yep. have access to? You know, we need to be grabbing hold of every tool and resource we have and grabbing hold of everything that pay Jesus paid for on the cross. Otherwise, to me, otherwise, it's kind of spitting in the face of what he did, you know? And oh, so for sure. this is another thing that is available to us and it is a process and you do have to walk through it, but you can be a hundred, you can be completely healed. You can be walking in fullness of joy and all that kind of stuff. And we just need a lot more examples of that out in the world saying it's possible. Oh, absolutely. People all, right. 
our churches, I have this, this phrase I use a lot. I think local churches, and I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it's what God is doing here at First Congregational Church of Naples, a major part of God's intention here. It's a, we're a missions-minded church. They happen to call a pastor who is also a missionary, and um, we're a missions-minded church. We're a worshiping church. As it were, a fellowshipping church, but I'm convinced that God will increasingly turn this place into a healing community. You know, I there was a woman at a church I served previously whose son had committed suicide, and this woman, it, it really broke my heart because we did all of the memorial service. I invited her to be a part of. In fact, she had been a part of um, the the sacrament of suffering, the grief share program. She had been a part of it before this happened. Dealing, mm. And she was working through loss of, of another uh, mm. family member. And um, even with all of that engagement, the church was not inherently, intrinsically enough of a healing community. At least I think this was a big part of it, where she felt like she had to go to another church. She had to get away from that community where it had happened in mm. order to go find a new place for healing. But like, that's her church. That should be the place for healing. Now, I understand some people are going to deal with grief differently. And for her, maybe seeing the same sites, it was just too much and she needed right. to be somewhere else. Okay. God bless her. But it made me at least really concerned about people's ability to find hope and healing where they already worship. You know, right. there's a woman who who's been coming to this church who I just love her. And uh, she showed up and it, it only reinforced my belief that the Holy spirit is leading people here for healing. Um, and she showed up here one day, she didn't know where to go. She prayed, she felt like God, she hadn't been real active in a church in a while. She prayed and asked God where to go. And somehow she ended up here. And I'm like, you came to the right place because I may not have all the answers, but you're darn right. I'm going to walk through the questions with you. And, um, she had, has in the matter of maybe 18 months lost, um, a, a husband to cancer, a son to suicide, and mm. then a daughter to, to largely an inexplicable, you know, natural cause death. Oh, wow. All in the matter of a year and a half. And it's like, uh, the, the, I said, look, my first piece of advice to you is you do not do this alone. We're right. going to, we're going to do this together. And any, and you can call me day or night and we're going to walk through this together. And um, so there are people out there looking yeah. for places of healing, is, I guess, my point for that. Yeah, what I'm saying. And, and God bless you for answering that call and, and for finding, uh, you know, I, I, I can't, I mean, I, I can't overstate how beautiful I think it is that God is doing this work in your life through you. And, you know, it's like, um, it's, I, in my opinion, in my uh, observation of the church, it couldn't be more needed and it couldn't yeah. be less common. And yeah. so, so I'm excited to have you down here and to yeah. see where, where our friendship goes. You don't live all that far away. Yeah. And um, you know, who knows what the Lord will do uh, out of these things. Yeah. So, well, I'm excited too. And I'm excited that, that you're paying such attention to this, that this has been on your radar as a pastor and recognizing the need and recognizing, you know, that's a rare thing to find as well. So I'm, I'm really glad to connect with you. I'm excited for the event. Well, like, like I said, right. My, like my, like my kids and some, so <laughs> some of my friends say, Hey, you're like the anti-prosperity preacher, <laughs> but it's but, but I don't ever go like, I don't go on the offensive in the, towards the pro against the prosperity message. I just, I'm just focused on, on something else that, that I, that I really think um, I see in people's lives. So many people are so stuck yeah. and uh, to get unstuck uh, in, into God's calling and freedom, going to have to deal with, deal with the grief and the pain and, and uh, loss. And, and like you said, disappointment, my wife, who also, my wife happens to hold degrees in uh, Christian counseling and 
uh, informally does a lot of ministry at the church uh, mm. in those ways and has counseled a number of people in these in some a lot of these same situations. And um, she, she she'll often tell people one of the things you have to learn to do, and I think it's just a, a little piece of the picture. You have to recognize like that there's real loss and disappointment just in like you said just in daily things and you have to learn to start forgiving uh accepting and forgiving for example the things that didn't happen the way you hoped they would happen the dreams right. that you had and you know and and dealing with it because there there is a reality that you had certain dreams for your son and your relationship with your son i have five kids i, I know that and um you know you you um and 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 part of that process is is uh something you know i i love um 12 step recovery programs because i think there's a level of honesty that exists a lot of times in like na and aa that's sadly lacking sometimes in the church because we want to put on you know most people want to, they want their pastor to think they're a really holy person and it's like really <laughs> if you only knew how 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 sinful i am you would you would certainly not uh be work so hard to impress me uh, right. but it's like but it's like in those programs they'll deal with like this is who i am i'm a disaster and then consequently they'll say things like this phrase i've heard from a number of these I, i'll sometimes visit groups with with church members who are in in recovery uh that you have to learn to accept life on life's terms similarly we need a biblical framework of understanding suffering and, and pain and then we need the practical Right. uh steps that you're offering to people to bring healing so i'm excited about it thank i'm, I'm thanks for joining me today yeah. uh on this and uh so we'll share it with as many people and we'll see who, who the lord sends and and uh, i think it'll be a really beneficial ministry yeah i'm looking forward to it okay well hey god bless you today thank and you. we'll we'll see you soon all right see ya <laughs>